I grew up dirt poor, right? We were, I grew up in North Carolina in a double wide trailer at the end of a dead end dirt road. Was there a role model or a book or a song or was there anything that helped shift your vision to what, what was possible? The only reason I set in the position I do today is, is people took a chance on me. We used to hunt on the base there, the military base. When I come across this guy, and, his, and I said, he introduces himself, his name was Al, who later became the commandant of the Marine Corps. People like that inspired me to go on and realize I could do it as well. Hey there, this is Ben. Thanks for tuning in to Lead the Team. Before we jump in, we just broke into the top 2% of all podcasts globally, and that's largely due to the support of listeners just like you. I invite you to subscribe so you're notified when we release a new episode and also leave a quick review. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, Lead the Team Nation. Welcome back. I've got a fun one in store for you today with Bill Kennedy, who is CEO of OTC Industrial Technologies. Now, if you're not familiar with OTC, they were established in 1963, and they're one of the largest industrial distributors and service providers in the United States. Now, Bill directs an organization with over 30 operating companies. That's right, 30, 30 operating companies, $1 billion in annual sales, 2,000 plus employees and over 70 sites. And during his tenure, OTC has grown revenues by more than 43% and earnings over 78%. Now, Bill has over 30 years of experience as a global business executive in a variety of industries and markets focused on industrial and consumer products and services. He's led numerous organizations through their most critical challenges and opportunities, often in complicated regulatory, investor, and media environments. So we're going to dig into that today. He's actually developed a set of tools and techniques to grow multi-billion dollar companies, and he's even created the Profitable Growth Operating System, also known as the PGOS, to help owners and operators around the world profitably grow their business. And by the way, he's actually he, he graduated summa cum laude from Elmhurst University, with a Bachelor of Science in Business Administration and received an MBA from the University of Chicago, the Booth School of Business. And he's also a proud veteran of the United States Navy. Bill, welcome to lead the team, sir. Great, Ben. It's uh, it's great to be here. Thank you so much. So for those of you not watching on video, you're listening, Bill has the coolest setup and you will see a spectacular glass structure behind him. And if you're wondering about that, we were just talking about Venice. Murano glass, man, that's great. And, and, and so that has traveled the world with you, wherever you go, you, you're moved. You always take this, 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 uh, glass sculpture. Yeah, that's right. You know, about 20 years ago, my wife and kids, uh, and I, we, uh, we took a vacation in Italy. Uh, we wound up in Venice and uh, if you've ever been there, one of the tours they offer is go to Murano. And, uh, we went over there and they let our kids, make their own glass sculptures. It was the greatest sales mechanism I've ever seen in my life. And they, they, they march you into this room 
uh, and you look at this wall of, mm-hmm. the, of these uh, uh, of these beautiful sculptures and glass, and and that was one of them. And uh, and so the kids kind of liked it, and we we've called it the family flame, and it's uh, it's kind of followed us everywhere through. Yeah. We've moved nine times in my career, wow. so uh, so it seems to have and made the, every one of them. Yeah, no, that's cool. I love having those. I mean, it's one thing to have family quote heirlooms, but it's another where, you know, you've got something that you can have in your household that reminds you and your family of a great trip and, and yeah. travel. And, uh, you know, we have some things like that. It always reminds us of that. And I don't know about you, but I feel like our family trips that we've taken are usually some of our best memories. Okay. Yeah, no question. It's, it's funny. You, you think of all the things we, we've all had tremendous success and we've just been so blessed but it's the events together. It's getting together and doing something is what we really mean, uh, remember. It's it's not your car, or you buy something. It's spending time, uh, the most precious gift we have with each other. Hmm. Love that. A great reminder. For leaders who are busy people to take the time to spend it with your families and your teams and create those events where you can go out, go out together. Now, I want to dive into this because wh- what is this? What is the OTC turnaround story? Yeah, it's a great story, and it's really it's really all about the people. The, the business has been around since the '60s. Uh, just an absolutely outstanding business. It was fi- uh, founded by the Darrow family, and then about ten or fifteen years ago, uh, uh, Phil Darrow, who was the son of the founder, uh, sold the business into private equity. Right, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, if you look at the the journey of private equity, ba- basically what has happened. Uh, uh, historically, is they would buy low and sell high. So it was, it went through three iterations and then Genstar bought it in 19. And Genstar is the company that currently owns it. And, uh, you know, I've worked with a lot of different organizations and I can say without uh, reservation, they're the finest ones I've ever, ever been associated mm-hmm. with. And they do a lot of great things. But the thing that really resonates with me is, is they bet on people and teams, right? They want the leadership to have its strategy, come in and, and see if you can execute it. And so when I got here, you know, the business was was going through a pretty tough time. I started August 9th, uh, uh, will be uh, will be two years this year. And, uh, and uh, you know, timing was just wonderful. <clears throat> you know, we're all going through a pandemic, but it sounds horrible. But for distribution, distribution thrives in high inflationary environments, right? We have almost mm-hmm. no pricing power. And so all we get to do is price our, is uh, pass our pricing through, <clears throat> excuse mm-hmm. me. And, uh, and so we we have a few things that are going for us that allow us to go out and capture that price. So the first is we only partner with the top brands in the industry. So we have four segments, pumps, air, finishing, uh, and automation, really. And in each okay. one of those pieces and pumps, we're the world's largest pump distributor for FlowServe. Uh, if you look at it in the air side, Atlas Copco, one of the 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 world's largest uh, manufacturer of compressors, we're their largest, right? Uh, you look at finishing, same thing. Uh, 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 and then finally with uh, automation, SMC, we're the largest. So we, if you're going to come in and buy these types of products, you're most likely going to do business with us. So that hmm. we had that going with us. The second is our footprint. We cover most of the United States, but there's still a lot of spaces out there that we're, we're not. That gives us opportunity for organic growth. Okay. Third piece, and this is the piece I love more than anything else, is uh, uh, is uh, uh, the reoccurring revenue stream, right? The parts and service. And we have over a thousand service trucks and and folks out there every day keeping our customers up and going uh, and uh, and really keeping them in. So 
in keeping them in business. And, uh, you know, we, we love pumps, but hardly anyone buys a pump because they're cool. They buy it because it keeps their, their business up and going. So, so a we're pump, there when they so, need so, it, when it so, breaks. So Bill, for the listeners, where would they see one of your pumps typically? Well, you know, we're kind of in that infrastructure piece for, where no one ever sees anything of right, our right. stuff, right? If you're in a, a manufacturing plant. So the other day, I was up at Lear uh, outside of Detroit, mm-hmm. Michigan. Lear makes and paints all the grills for Cadillac and all these other things. So we're we're standing there. <clears throat> all these grills are going through a paint booth. It's our equipment uh, that we uh, uh, installed and programmed and put in that uh, that paints all that kind of stuff. So it's the it's kind of the the backbone of America is where we where we make our living. Yeah, yeah. So people that are listening. Your your I guess your day is being touched by one of the OTC products, but you don't necessarily see it because you guys are in between. And there's such a it sounds like a great place to be from an economic standpoint, like you say, because the the wheels of progress keep turning, and you need to have the infrastructure to do that. And you guys have established that uh, over time. And so, what was the secret to the big turnaround? Were you able to hit these kinds of numbers? Yeah, it was a couple of things, right? So the first piece, we came in and we did a very simple four-step process. So the first process, first step in the process, we had to get a goal. What did we want to be when we grew up? And we picked hmm. organically to get to a billion dollars. It's not, I mean, a billion is kind of a cool number and everything, but very few people actually get excited about a number, right? But we needed something to aim at. Okay. The second step in that process was we had to pick a strategy based on what we had already, right? We weren't we weren't in the manufacturing airplane businesses, right? We don't we not restaurants. It was what we had. It was our core. What right. is the strategy that will achieve that billion dollars? Uh, second piece: How do we structure ourselves? What do we got to change in order to go deliver that strategy? And the final piece uh, was very simple: What's the tactics or the action plans that it would take for us to go? go execute that. So we came in in August by December 16th, we had it laid out. And the most important part was, it wasn't my vision or strategy. It was the teams, right? They came up with it. So they owned it. You know, all I helped them do was get through the process. And, uh, and at the end of it, we picked, we wanted to be a billion dollars. We wanted to be uh, number one or two in everything that, that we did. And we were going to take and grow ourselves across the United States. And, uh, and that's exactly what we started doing. It took us a hundred days and uh, by January 1, we were going, we got control of ourselves, we got command of the business and uh, started 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 making uh, moves well, pretty quick. That's awesome. And you make it sound so simple, but you increased sales 43% in 100 days? No, 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 no. That was to get the plan out going, right? Okay, the two plan. Years that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was just so for to get the plan. So when I got here, the business, it, you know, it was a unique time. We're in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, you got, geez, be kind yes. to people. You don't. You know, it's I mean, not a great time to take over something that you're like, okay, I mean, you got to, because you're figuring out your business in an environment where there's a lot of other external factors. So you're moving internal and external without necessarily knowing where the external world's going to end up. That's exactly <laughs> right. You know, and for best. us, it was, it was kind of simple, actually. Um, we, we were experiencing, and if most people, uh, I mean, we're all inflation. I mean, heck we go out today and hamburgers are 20 bucks, right? It's out of control. We had experienced, uh, on average, uh, that year, about 10 and a half percent price inflation. People prices coming to us, right? Our costs were going up. So you're, uh, so what, what are, what are your main costs coming in that, that went up 10% or what are the, is it, uh, 
what were the main pieces that that were being hit by inflation? You know, it was everything. So we sell, believe it or not, 8 million different SKUs, which is way too many to sell, right? We really probably need to be selling about 200, but that's where we, 200,000, that's where we started at. Uh, Motors, these little electric motors that drive everything out there were up 58%, 58% that year, if you can believe that. And uh, (laughs) so we had everything from motors to compressors. Compressors were coming in. We got five or six price increases alone that year. Our problem was was not the price increases because remember these are products that are out there and people have to buy. If you're going to be manufacturing right. something, you're buying these products. You need them, right? We couldn't get our price increases through. Our systems were a mess. These thirty operating companies were not communicating. The systems didn't exist, and we weren't mm-hmm. facing it. And so, with so many SKUs, so many different items to do out there, we were just failing to pass it along. So. We came in, uh, started in August. In October, we kind of had command of the numbers. We knew what was going on. And it was really a failure to pass price increases to start with. And we were just very heavy handed. We raised everything as fast as we could. We were behind all of our competitors. Now, what that had done was gave us a little bit of breathing room. We had to get sophisticated with it. But the folks who were leading it before I got here, and they were all wonderful people, had made a decision uh, to cut the headcount that we had uh, in the business, right? What do you do? Your business, your profit's going down, your costs are too much, you make cuts. I made a different uh, bet. Hmm. And I had, you know, told our uh, GenStar, our, our great partners, I said, look, we, we need to, we're not going to cut our way to glory. We're going to have to grow our way out of this. And we're a tribal knowledge company. And what that means is we didn't have the systems in place to run process. It was people to do. We had a tribe. And when they did the layoff, unfortunately, the tribe walked out the door and we had no idea how to put price increases in. We had no idea how to ship mm. products. We had no idea to place orders. All the internal folks had kind of gone away. I'm exaggerating a little bit for effect, but it doesn't take a lot of key people gone before you're in trouble. So we went and did two things, right? We immediately started raising our pricing. The second thing we did was we started hiring people as fast as we could, right? And 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 I can't say enough about our partners in GenStar letting us to do it. So by the end of the year, we had hired a couple hundred people and we had spent over $30 million in systems, processes, technology, and almost none of it had an impact, right? You got to get it in, you got to get it going. So we were very heavy handed to begin with. Uh, and that allowed us to give us a little breathing room. Uh, given what inflation was doing, given what was happening out there, the market would take rapid and aggressive price increases. So wow. we made our way to December. Uh, we uh, certainly didn't have everyone that we needed, and uh, and uh, but we had enough pricing. And so we knew what we had to do as we went into January. So you made a $30 million investment as an organization. In That's a big days. bet during a pandemic. That's right. And- so on the outside, I'm assuming you were putting forth a leadership persona of this is the right thing to do for the <laughs> business. It's going to pay off. It's going to, what was going on inside when you were sitting in your chair next to that awesome Murano Italian, uh, class sculpture. <laughs> well, you yeah, just as you would suspect, you know, we, we knew we were doing the right things, but you're still scared to death, right? A lot of people do right things and it doesn't work out. Yeah. We communicated with the team all the time. I, I went on the road. We've 
got over 70 locations, a couple thousand people. And we went out, we just told the story. Here's where we are, right? And people would say, you don't understand. I'm dealing, I go, I understand exactly uh, what's happening. But if we don't make these changes, right, we're, we're not out of business, but we can see the crash site from where we're setting right now. We have time to change the trajectory and make this company as great as it could be. I mean, it's a 60 plus year old company. We're standing on the shoulders of giants. Let's go do the right thing. And people bought into it. They understood we were very open. We shared exactly where we were. Our vendors were upset at us. Our folks were upset at us. We just went and said, here's our plan. Here's what we're going to go do. And here's the key point, right? The folks owned it and they went and did it. Hmm. Wow. The folks owned it and they went and did it. So it's one, I think for the leaders to listen, okay, so there, there's a lot of things going on in here. One, you cast a bold vision and you got the resources, but nothing happens if people aren't bought into it. So it's a lot of locations. What, when you go and you talk to these people who've been working for a company that's been around for so long, they've seen a lot of changes and mm -hmm. they, why didn't they just say, okay, here's another CEO. He's coming to talk to us again about how it's all going to be fine and we need to do all these changes and he wants to learn all these new systems. What was your, what were you thinking? What was your thinking as a leader of how is it going to be different for them this time? How am I going to communicate with us so they can get on board? Yeah, that's a really great question. You know, I found, uh, so as the, to use a military analogy, you know, I'm an old, old Navy guy, uh, is it's my job to pick the hill we're going to take, right? So we're, we're and I, and, and, and we made a decision as a leadership team, we were going to grow this business. And mm -hmm. that team, so I said, what is the hill, right? And we came up with the, the, the number itself. Once we had made those decisions, the team had to figure out how to go do it, right? Because you know, as we, you know, set and doing whatever we're doing, I'm here in 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 my home office, and as many of our folks were, mm -hmm. uh, there's no way I could uh, uh, um, uh, uh, hope to tell them what to go do, right? Yeah, they knew you their guys do A, B, C, D, and you're going to grow 43. percent It's not going to happen exactly. from the CEO's office. That's exactly right. right. We picked our goal. We picked our strategy. I think the biggest thing we did that the team saw was we reorganized ourselves in a way to go execute that strategy. All 30 companies were operating independently and not communicating. Uh, we worked through it. We organized ourselves into four verticals. We, and I'll give you the everything's an acronym for us, right? So PMT, Pump Motor Technologies, ASG, Air Supply Group, FDF, Finishing, dispensing, filtration. And the last one we call IPG, Industrial Products Group, which is primarily automation, but it has some other little uh, uh, companies in there as well. So we organized ourselves. We mm -hmm. put four presidents over each one of those and then worked with them to get a very clean vision of what they were going to go do. Now, our plane is flying, right? But it's got problems. We need to change the engines. We got to put wheels on it. It needs a paint job, all this stuff. But our plane is flying. So you know, we really worked on a lot of things like progress, not perfection. Let's just try to move forward, right? Mm. I know we don't have everything, but let's do the right thing. Take a couple of steps, figure out where we are, and then go from there. Uh, you know, the other thing that we 
We can't. I tell me, I said, look, guys, we cannot fall out of a basement. Let's just try. Right. We'll move forward. And uh, so it was that kind of thing. And then I think the most important thing was just getting out there, meeting with the people. Uh, you know, it was the height of the pandemic. People were surprised I would show up. I'd get on a plane. There was no one on a plane. Right. I get on a plane. I'd fly out there and I come and I say, listen, we just need your help. Right. Uh, not everyone chose to go with us. We understood that. And some of them had very clear vision. I said, look, maybe this isn't the company for you anymore, right? We're going this direction. We need you to get on board quickly. And people rallied around it. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. Why are you so fired up? You're so excited. You're getting on a plane when no one else, the pandemic, you're flying to all these places. Like what is right with you or what is wrong with you to be so excited? What is, what is, what's getting you up to go do this? You know, I could see it, right? It, yeah. uh, it's not my first rodeo. <laughs> uh, we've done a, a lot of different businesses right. at this point. And it was so obvious to me that we had all the right ingredients, right? We had the best mm. products out there. If you were going to buy those products, you had to buy them from us, right? Uh, we needed our teams back in place and work. We didn't have to have perfection. We needed all these systems, but we weren't going to get them overnight. We had an ownership structure that was willing to invest in the company. And we had leaders right. who cared and wanted to be a part of it. How can you not win with that? Well, So you saw a vision that you were excited about. Now, That's right. I want to keep going the story, but let's dial back early, Bill. When did you realize that, I don't put words in your mouth, but you, you strike me as someone who likes to cast a vision and get, rally the troops and go, go after it based on your background. When's the earliest time in your life, even when you were a kid, when, that you you figured out, hey, this is something I can do? Wow, what an interesting question. You know, I grew up, I tell people this all the time, but it's true. I grew up dirt poor, right? We were, I grew up in North Carolina in a double wide trailer at the end of a dead end dirt road, right? When I graduated high school, my way off the farm was to join the Navy. So I enlisted, got out, went, traveled around the world, came back, went and got my college that you mentioned earlier. Like I was very blessed, right? I had a lot of great opportunities and I took advantage of them. But early on, you know, I realized a couple of things about myself. So I love playing sports. But you could time me with a calendar, right? It was uh, there was no way I was going anywhere with that. So you know, in high school, I ran for my student body president, and I won it because I like you know leading and getting out okay. there in front of, it. and I could I could see the vision of where I was going. But like everyone else, I needed opportunity. I needed to take advantage of it, and that's what's great about this country, right? If you want to achieve something, you can do it here. And so I felt that way, and I went out there, and I did everything I could to make it happen, right? So I wasn't always perfect or anything like that. But with that spirit and investing in myself, investing in others, I've been able to put together a career that's really worked out very well. I think there's hmm. I think there's at least 15 people out there today who are sitting CEOs or presidents who uh, I put them in those roles, right, at some point well, in their career. I helped them go through that. Now, they did all the work themselves, but I know I had some small part of that. So that's gotta it's be that very kind of gratifying. stuff that makes a difference. That's got to be really gratifying to to have to see that. That's to me. That's leadership legacy. 
I think so. You know, I was always hungry. And uh, I think the thing that makes a difference, right, is uh, is uh, persistence. There's a lot of geniuses out there. I make the joke that, you know, there's a lot of PhDs, you know, asking if you'd like fries with whatever you're, you're getting. It takes more than just education. It takes more than it's got that willingness to get up, go make something happen. Uh, and then, you know, tomorrow, get up and do it uh, again. Right. On the on the best of days and the worst of days, the sun always sets. Hmm. Thinking back to the day when you're, you know, in your in your trailer in, in North Carolina and then eventually running for student body president and whatnot. Was there a role model or a book or a song or was there anything that helped shift your vision to what, what was possible on a bigger level? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, for myself, uh, the only reason I set in the position I do today is, is people took a chance on me. Right. And, uh, uh, and, you know, it was up to me to what I was going to do with that. It took both of us. Someone had to give me an opportunity and two, I had to go execute on that opportunity. But I, I remember my earliest days. So we, like I say, we grew up in uh, Southeastern North Carolina and uh, we like to hunt and fish and do all this stuff. And, and in the process of hunting as a kid, like as an early teenage uh, kid, I uh, was out one day and we used to hunt on the base there, the military base called Camp Lejeune. And so I'm walking down this trail and I come across this guy and, his, and I said, he introduces himself. His name was Al and I was Bill. It turns out he was the uh, commander of Camp Lejeune, Al Gray, who later became the commandant of the Marine Corps. Right. And so Al and I became buddies. I didn't know who he was and I was no one. So uh, but he liked me. And so and he, you know, he had grew up poor and he told me about joining as an enlisted guy and how he had made it all the way up at that time. He was a, a general uh, over Camp Lejeune, but nothing is compared to what he became. And and so people like that inspired me to go on and realize I could do it as well. Right. And uh, mm. so things like that made a big difference to me. And there's been a tremendous amount of people who have taken chances on me. And, you know, I hope I haven't let them down, but I've done the best I can with with what I have. You never know when a moment like that is going to be transformational. And it's not like that hunting trip and that moment ended up being an extremely high impact acceleration point for you. And we didn't even realize it. A absolutely. Yeah. Right. And it inspired me later. I joined the Navy and got myself out there. Right. So mm. we're all given opportunities. It's what we do with them. That makes the difference. Right. But the key to remember is you can't do any of it by yourself. It's you and the team and, uh, and uh, it's who you just uh, decide to surround yourself with at the end of the day, that's going to make all the difference. So let's, let's fast forward a little bit here. You've, you've had, you know, a long career and you're doing great with, with OTC and you've got your operating system. Now I, I grew up, grew up, I, I worked for over a decade for Honeywell and they had their HOS Honeywell operating system. And it, I mean, it was pretty much gospel the way we ran the business. Uh, in that and leaders have taken that and leaders that started there and gone and and they go to work for different companies and this operating system has really been a way that they've even able to run their you know their own businesses and I think it's really interesting that over time you've created your own operating system and now you've got a book coming out and so I'd love for you to talk about why you decided to create your own operating system. Explain that to us. Because I think leaders 
I think it's really interesting for a leader to have that because it gives you something to take and impart to others. But I love I love to hear your perspective on that and then get into what's at the heart of the book. Yeah, absolutely. So like you, I came through some big corporations. And when I was at IDEX, uh, I was part of a team that helped design its operating system, right? And mm-hmm. the keys on my operating system, I think, are pretty similar to a lot of them out there, right? There's talent, there's strategy, there's lean, there's acquisitions, uh, and then there's segmentation or 80-20. So those are the, the five key pieces of it. But really, my operation systems is the stuff that I've seen and been part of uh, over my 30-year career. So I didn't come up with lean or anything like that. We all know the story of lean if you've been at Honeywell for sure, right? And uh, uh, But the pieces that I've done, I've put mm-hmm. together and then modify them to work in my situations, yes. right? Um, and uh, so, so yeah, so 80-20 goes back to ITW, first place I ever saw it. And I've hired a lot of people and I found that it really works. At the end of the day, you know, lean... You can take a million dollars and throw it a nickel problem. And lean will solve it, but you solve the nickel problem, right? 80-20 is the tools, the processes that tell us what to aim at, tells us where the money's at. And it tells you then once you understand that, it starts helping you understand how to go get it. Lean will help you go get that, but without having something to aim at. Then like talent. You got to have good people and you got to have people who buy into the process. The talent's going to help you go do that. And strategy is nothing more as how do I deploy what the data told me to how to go do. So I, as I've as I've gone through my career, I find people tend to fall into to one of two buckets, right? So one is I call it managerial improvement. I'm going to show you how to be a better person, how to be a better leader. There's no doubt that helps. But where the real changes happen, where the real changes happen is the structural changes of the business. You got to operate the business better, right? Mm. So I, mm. you can come out and learn to be a better leader. It's absolutely necessary. It's important, but you need to change something. And the reason we got the changes that we got at OTC is we looked at pricing differently. We reorganized the company and put it together. We started putting in the ERPs. Now, would I do the same thing in a different company? Of course not, right? But I have a tool set that will come in and not tell you the answers, but it will help you ask the right questions so you understand what to aim at. For us, as we went through the process, we realized there was three things we had to go do. The first was we had to get pricing under control and not just pricing of products, but pricing of everything from our labor rates to our freight rates to our uh, recoverable. I mean, it goes on and on, right? So pricing was number one. The second thing was what made us different. What did we offer that no one else did and our customers really valued? And it was service and repair, right? Then the third piece was we had to deploy 80-20 across it so we could understand where the profit pools were at that we could take and go then. And we needed a data-driven way to do it, not just someone's opinion. We wanted the critical few, not the trivial many. And many Mm -hmm. times when you're going through this, all of a sudden people go, well, we've got to go do this. Well, that may be interesting, but the data tells us it's not important. Right. So data gives us something to rally around. So that became the three things that we decided we had to do. A different companies I've ran and been part of, we pick different things because it's what's important, one, for the time and two, what the company, what the strengths of the company are. I, I, that's really interesting to share. And, and I think it's important for leaders to hear this. And from a higher level perspective, looking at this, I think it's important. And I want to get your feedback because you've, like you said, you had 13 people that have worked for you that you've helped get to the CEO role themselves, do they all, or I don't want to put words in your mouth. What is the, other than working with you, what is the common thread that you're seeing? Are they, 
And then where my mind is going is they perhaps created their own operating system. What from what they're or what's what are the common threads of those thirteen people that have been in been put in the CEO role? Yeah, absolutely. Right. So I think there's just a, a couple of things. So one is you got to want it, right? Because it's so funny, you know. It it but 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 it ain't as easy as it looks, right? Uh, <laughs> and. Uh, and you got to want it. You got to want the travel. If that's what you need, you got to want the late hours. You got to want the making the big decision that may or may not work out. Right. And so you got to you got to be willing to place a bet on yourself. Right. So that's one. The second one is you do need some kind of process, some kind of system that if you're going to walk in as the leader, I'm not talking about coming up through the ranks, but you're going to walk in. as a, What are you going to do day one? And then what are you going to do day two? How do you work? There's some reason you're there. And unless the person who was leading it just retired because the great and glorious was there, uh, uh, there you're there to fix or turn or grow something, right? They don't they don't bring new people in because they're you know they're winning championships. They bring them in because they're not getting it across the finish line, right? So right. you need a process to go do it. So I would say all the people I've worked with, these same tools that I'm using today are the same tools I use. 20 years ago, but they're more refined, right? And depending on when you were with me in that journey, depends what 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 they've learned and went on. I'm sure they've taken whatever they've got uh, and improved it for themselves in their own situation. Yeah. But you got to have a process and you got to be willing to share that and get people hopeful and excited that you can get them there. Yeah, I feel like we don't. So we're on episode 180 or so of the Lead the Team we haven't really had an episode like this. And I think, and I'm excited about it because it kind of fills that gap. So like when I was at Honeywell, we had the HOS, but that was based on Jack Welch and a lot of stuff that GE was doing that, that Dave Cody brought over. And I do think that especially in these in industrial manufacturing distributions, these industries, it's so important for people to be thinking about that. And so Say you've got someone listening today and maybe they're a mid-level leader. They have dreams of being CEO. So they check your first box. They want it. Okay. Or they think they want it. I guess you don't really know until you get there and you're doing it. That's um, right. But they're not, they're not really sure on the operating system piece of it. They're not, they don't, they don't have that formalized for themselves yet. Uh, what's a first step? that you would recommend to them for beginning to create that self for themselves and their team? Well, I think there's several things they can do. The first is, you know, I think the key to my success is I'm a continuous learner, right? I don't have all the answers for sure, right? Every day I go, oh my God, look at that. I want to try that too, right? And I don't mean management by bestseller. I just mean continue to refine where you're at, continue to press and prove out your theories, whatever your hypothesis uh, hypothesis is. If you think you've got it figured out, you're probably losing, right? It's uh, things are going to come at you. And the thing I learned, so my first job I had that I was really successful at, you know, when you're really successful, what they do is they promote you, right? So, so I was successful. I got promoted. And I went and did the exact same thing on the second one. I almost bankrupt that company before I realized, wait a minute, it's a different situation. So, so, you know, right. it's like a carpenter. Every carpenter has the same tools. There's hammers and saws and nails and all this, but some of them build mansions, some of them build condos, some of them build outhouses, right? Whatever it is. So you got to know what you're aiming at, but you use those same tools. 
And the tools that we've all learned, if you've been around any type of the stuff I have is Six Sigma or Lean or Mm -hmm. uh, uh, talent development and all that. It's how you use those tools once you understand what the heart you're doing. What's the game we're playing, right? What are we trying to do? Uh, And once you understand that, then you know, all right, I've got a blueprint. I got to get a strategy. And then I can start deploying tools to achieve that blueprint. But if you think you're building a condo and the other guy over there thinks you're building a skyscraper, you're in trouble, right? <laughs> so, but to get a line, great to metaphor go there. Yeah, great metaphor. We have the same tools. And so, as a leader, you know, people listening, you're equipping them in your, in your new book, right? That's coming out. It's a set of tools. That's right. Correct? The book is called Profitable Growth on Demand Take Command of Your Business. Right. And it's the tools. And so what I find is the data, it tells you exactly what you will get the data in your company. And I've ran all sorts of ones that have excellent visibility, have terrible visibility, but you really do actually have all the data you need. Right. And you'll get that within a week, sometimes within hours, depending on the uh, uh, what your systems are. The next six months, you're going to argue over what the data means. But the data is obvious. You know where you're making money. You know where you're losing money. But everyone is going to have their own vision. Like you, they're going to say, "No, no, you don't understand. Mm-hmm. This this company is very important to us. I know they're not buying much, but they will, right? And all of these are nothing more than distractions, Ben. You mm-hmm. have to get people to buy into where we're going. If it's you forcing it on them, forget about it. They'll say whatever. No you sacred cows at that moment. No sacred cows. That's exactly right. And we work around what we call fair, but not equal. Fair, but not equal, right? Because people want to treat all their customers the same. In fact, it's a point of pride. And they will tell you stories about on that Friday night where they loaded a product in the back of their car and they drove across the country in a raging snowstorm to deliver. Well, guess what? Most likely that customer buys nothing from them. They've taken product that they could have sold at a much higher market margin to a customer that loves them. And we know they love them because they buy from them and they pay their bills and they've given it to them. Right. Yes. It's amazing. how they're burning themselves you gotta out get the because data. they drove all night. They're proud of it. And they should be proud yeah. of what they do because they care. But you need something to decide between who is really important to you and who is not. You know, I tell this story about how do you decide between fair but not equal? And I always say about your uh, your spouse and your sibling. And if, you, if we have time, I'll, I'll be happy to tell you the story. Tell me, tell me the story. You're really All right. Te- Are you really married, Ben? <laughs> Are you married? Yes. All right. Do you have a sibling, a brother yes. or a sister? Yes. All right. I've got a sister. So it's your, your wife's, your partner's birthday. What are you going to get her? It's my wife's birthday. My wife's birthday. Um, well, I'm going to get her this fancy birdhouse thing that she's been wanting. Man, that's special because that means you know her well enough to know she likes a birdhouse and wants one. <laughs> what else are you going to do? Uh, we'll take her out. Take, take her, her to dinner. Yeah, maybe. Take her out to dinner. Yeah. Yeah, but flowers. Flowers. Something? Yeah, probably. Yeah, flowers. Probably you told the restaurant early. I don't want to put words in. You told her, and it comes and says "Happy Birthday" with a little candle on the cake. You yes. know, if you go to a nice absolutely. Restaurant. Go really and nice. Go all out. Oh man, yes. and she's gonna love all that, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Now, do you have a brother or sister? I have a sister. Okay, it's your sister's birthday. What are you gonna do for her? I'm gonna give her a call. That's pretty good. That's better. I text my sister. I love her to death. I might, I, I might text. I might text then call. Yeah, and, what else? Uh, probably send her 
a gift certificate to her favorite restaurant in Chicago. Wow. You're a great brother. I just text. That's it. I go, if I get high call, I go, hey, I love you. What's going on? So you're going to text your sister, probably call her, and maybe even send her a gift certificate, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, let's say, so for your wife, a fancy birdhouse, big dinner, you're there. It's not just a gift certificate. Mm-hmm. A little dessert at the end, the whole oh, yeah. nine yards, yeah. right? Your sister, a call or text, and a gift certificate. Now, let's switch those. Let's say for your sister, you give her exactly what you gave for your wife. How's your sister going to feel about that? She's going to be delighted and maybe a little weirded out. Maybe a little weirded out, but she's going to take it, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. She's going to take She'll be worried about you, but she's going to take it. Now, let's say you give your wife what you gave your sister. Happy birthday. Yeah, I'll just call her on the phone. Even though she's in call the same the house, phone. I'll just be like, hey, happy birthday. Hey, honey, maybe do it from your studio. I'll make it no. special. Hey, honey, I'm on the air. Just a minute. Love you. Right. And all that. How's she going to feel about that? She's not going to be as happy about that. She'll not going to be happy at all. Yeah. Not going to be happy at all. You do that enough. We get to this terrible thing known as divorce, right? Because <laughs> she's got options. Guys like you and I, we don't have many options, but our That's correct. That's correct. We married above ourselves. They have options. Yep. She can go somewhere else. Okay. Now. You give your wife what you give her. You give your your sister what you give her. Is it fair what each of them gets? Is it fair? Yeah, your wife gets more than what? your sister. Is it fair? No, it's not fair from that standpoint. No, it's 100% fair. Your wife is your wife, the most important woman in your whole life. It's fair she gets more. Oh, yeah. Oh, is that? Yes. I thought you meant in the reverse scenario. No, no, no you're no, right. No, no. Yes, it's no, yeah. no. It's fair. She deserves yeah. it. Your sister gets what? She, same thing. But is it equal? No, no, it's fair, but not equal. Now let's turn that to a customer. Your A customers are your spouses and your B customers are your sisters, right? We care about both, but it's not equal. You have to treat them differently. You have to treat them different. If you treat them all the same, well, there's not enough hours in the day. There's not enough money in the bank to give them all the same thing. You can't, you absolutely can't. So you start with that. Now, in in our spouses, our A customers, how do we know they're our A customers? Right. Profitability standpoint, longevity standpoint. They buy a lot. Yeah. Right. Second thing, they pay their bills. Pay their bills. Yep. Yeah. So they buy a lot. They pay their bills. We know they like us because they do that. If they didn't like us, they wouldn't do it. How do we know who our B customers are? They buy a little less. They They buy a whole lot less typically, right? And a lot of times, those are the ones that don't pay their bills as well. Pay their bills. Maybe they're maybe they're inconsistent in their ordering. They order some and they wait months, and they can't build a business upon that per se. Yeah, it takes about a second to figure that out. You can look and understand. Most people can tell you right off the bat who their spouses are, who their big customers are. They might not be exactly correct, but they're going to be directly spot on. And you'll find the big ones do pay their bills because they have to, right? Because you're important to them and they're important to you. If you treat them like you treat a B customer, they're going to leave you, right? And if you treat a B customer like an A customer, nothing changes. Your sister does not become your wife. She's still your sister. Don't think about that. That's a bad thought. So, But she does not become your wife, right? She's still just who she is. So the B's are the B's, the A's are the A's. Once you accept that and you have the data to prove it, now you got to figure out what you're going to go do. It's so so important. Yeah, I mean, you're really keying in on profitability and the 80-20 rule, Pareto principle. 
so well communicated. And for the listeners, I mean, Bill just gave some great examples here. But also as a leader, what Bill's doing is you're making a very high-level business idea understandable to everybody. That's and I think I think great leaders, they cast a vision, they understand the business, but they often don't take the time to make that connection to where someone from the on the cleaning staff to the sales team to the president of a business unit can all understand it equally. And um, I think you just gave us a great example of that. And so I encourage listeners today to be thinking about that. When you have your operating system, you've got your vision. You've also got to take the time to think about a great way to communicate it where people won't forget it. And I won't forget that. Bill, what's your parting thought for our listeners today? You know, uh, just a couple of things. So one, We've gone through a terrible time out of the last two years have been tremendous. Nothing I've ever experienced. Be kind to each other. You don't know what people are going through, right? Uh, but just because we're going through tough times does not mean we cannot be successful. I think our best days are ahead of us. I think we're going to be, the, we have the greatest opportunity in this country that anyone can have. We are truly standing on shoulders and giants, right? I can't wait to see what comes next. All right. I love the optimism. Go out and make it happen, y'all. Thanks, Bill. Thank you, Ben. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.